Welcome to the IPA Real Estate Show. Investments, property management, and acquisitions from Pensacola, Florida. Here are your hosts, Austin Tenpenny and attorney Tim Baldwin. All right, everyone. Welcome to the IPA Real Estate Show. Welcome to episode four. I am Tim Baldwin. And I'm Austin Tenpenny. All right, y'all. We're going to this is going to be an exciting show in my mind because this is uh, um, something that we're experiencing right now here in our office at Adore Properties, Adore Property Management, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this with Austin because Austin has been working hard and diligently on this project that um, we've now closed on, and it's um, a large number of single-family homes within a community uh, that we now have under management. We're the property managers. Uh, there's asset management involved as well. And uh, But Austin was instrumental in putting this deal together. So I'm, I'm really just uh, looking forward to talking with Austin and let you guys hear what Austin has to say about um, you know his experience and his up-close and personal um, dealings with uh, this community that we're now managing, and but Austin was um, the one that put the whole deal together. So this is what we're talking about is a community in our local area. It's a 105 single-family unit uh, community, and um, it's a called Build for Rent. It's sort of known as Build for Rent or Build to Rent, and it is a you know that model is becoming more popular as far as an investment model. And um, but Austin is sort of blazing a trail. I know I know that people know about that, and it's happening in other parts of the country. But sort of in our area, it's it's sort of novel and new, and and it's uh, there's an open door um, here in our area with pursuing this kind of model. So, Austin, we're gonna dig into your brain and your experience here of, of what what's been going on with you in the past few months uh, with this bill for rent community community. So. Maybe just start with telling the listeners what's build for rent. What's that look like, and why is it unique? Yeah, for sure. No, the the build for rent asset class is uh, super interesting. It's it's been around for quite some time um, at the national level. I'm not even sure exactly when. You know the the 2015 ish uh, is probably popping around in 2010 too. But really between 2015 and 2018. The build for rent asset class really took off, and what what that actually means when you say build for rent is it's a single family rental community attached or detached. So that's a, a single family residential home like detached or attached like townhomes that is basically dedicated to be a rental community. So there's some type of deed restriction on it or of some sort that basically deems that it'll be a long term rental. Um, versus that of like a traditional apartment complex. Sometimes the lots are platted fee simple um, to where they're individually platted like a normal traditional subdivision, and sometimes it's one big parcel similar to an apartment complex. But we at Adore started getting real hot and heavy in the studying the bill for rent model about two years ago, two and a half years ago. I attended a conference in Miami uh, about bill for rent, and um, it was always kind of on my radar and, and something I was interested in. But we kind of got real hot and heavy in it over the past couple of years. But anyway, the, the thing that's interesting about it is on paper, it looks just like multifamily. 
Um, you kind of underwrite it like multifamily. A lot of times, if you looked at two different pro formas, you wouldn't be able to tell a whole lot of difference. Um, but the, the appeal to it, to the investment pool, is that in this environment, there's a lot of renters by choice. Um, you know, for the first time in a long time, it's it's almost cheaper to rent than it is to buy. But people that are in that that market, they prefer the look and feel of a real single family home to that of an apartment. So being that we've been in home building forever, in land development and whatnot, um, naturally it was kind of our next segue of, of what we were going to go after. And um, anyway, yeah, so that's kind of high level what the bill for rent looks like. Um, so when you when you got more involved in, in just, I guess, understanding it better or just trying to put some feet to the ground here locally, uh, were you looking at any other sort of models, proven models that were showing success and and where were those areas and where were those investors at? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's I, we spent, up until this acquisition we just did, I spent the last two years kind of studying, preparing, and um, looking at different business models. Uh, there's a lot of big operators across the country that have thousands of bill-for-rent doors under management. So there's a lot of good good people out there kind of blazing the way. It just hasn't really taken off in Pensacola, aside from uh, D.R. Horton, a, a local um, you know, publicly traded builder. They've, uh, ironically, through our land development business, we developed the very first subdivision uh, in the panhandle, the lots that D.R. Horton built and sold as build for rent uh, out in Beulah. And so they've kind of been the only larger player dabbling in the build for rent. And they've only done it uh, three to four communities as, as of late. And so, um, Anyway, there was a lot of good, to answer your question, yeah, there was a lot of good people out there that we were able to see um, some operational advantages, um, and it's just a, it's a good investment vehicle. Um, multifamily over the last couple of years, really all commercial assets over the last couple of years got super saturated. People were doing some crazy things with the how cheap money was, um, and so anyway, it it has kind of opened up some good opportunities for us now because it's not easy to get deals done in this environment, but there's still a high demand for high quality rentals. And so that's sort of why we chose this path um, to go after this particular asset. Um, this is a unique one for us at Adore because we didn't build it. It's right. The, <laughs> right. It's the, it feels kind of weird yeah. having somebody <laughs> else. We've been building so much. Um, feels weird yeah. to own homes that we didn't build. but um, <laughs> Felt like you didn't do anything, all right? right. Just, and I was yeah. like, man, we didn't get our hands dirty. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got our hands dirty. We got our spreadsheets dirty. That's right. <laughs> well, but, speaking of that, I mean, I know that because we, you know, I, I didn't look at the numbers like you did. But as I was looking at the numbers and uh, looking at how much work went into building out the pro forma, really understanding the numbers and the details of those because – your formula is based on those those assumptions, or at least, you know, there's some givens right now. But you're looking at the, at the future too. So, like, you you have to look at three to five years to say, okay, this is what we're shooting for. This is how we're going to try to make this work. And so, give us a little insight of, I mean, just how stressful is that, right? I mean, you're you're pitching this to investors. The investors are wanting wanting to know that this is a good investment. And so you're having to show them this full picture of what is what it looks like now, what we expect to look like in the future, 
And so give the listeners a bit of understanding of just what's involved when you're going through those numbers. Oh, man, that's a long conversation. Yeah, um, yeah it's one of those things that you lay in bed at night. You're like, man, I hope I didn't miss something. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Um, yeah, so basically, I don't even know where to begin, but this particular asset, we modeled it as a five-year hold. So you've got... Uh, to make some serious assumptions based on historical data and just sometimes just gut instinct to make sure um, you're you're being safe, especially in this environment um, with all the you know craziness in the economy and and the cost of living and inflation. You know these are all things that hurt the consumers, aka our tenants. Yeah. Um, so you have to factor every little thing you can imagine into it. Things like expense growth. Um, Property taxes are a big deal in build for rent because mm-hmm. this particular subdivision we bought, these are fee simple lots, and so property tax. When you're when you own homes in a extremely high growth county, the odds of those property taxes going up are mm-hmm. high. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. Then you throw in Florida insurance, which we talked about on a previous episode. Right. Another big wild card, and so um, we always try to. I'm a huge proponent of under promise over deliver. You know, the amount of hours I spent trying to break that spreadsheet and just make it as conservative as possible. Um, Nick and Kat on our acquisitions team think I'm a psychopath um, <laughs> because of how many times I touched that spreadsheet. Right. They could always, we, it's through Microsoft, uh, the office suite, and it's on a cloud so they can see every time I'm in there and they're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Just want to make sure Round and round we go. Right. Um, but no, but it's important because this is a big deal, especially on this particular uh, uh, acquisition. It was a 506B capital raise. And so this is uh, with investors that we've had relationships for a while. Um, and, you know, it was our first big acquisition. So the importance of this deal performing the way that we projected is is huge. Yeah. Um, and because we want to continue to make our investors money, which in return makes us money and um so yeah, but I mean, the the two big wild cards for this particular acquisition. So we can just pick something to get in the weeds to because there's so many. You've seen the performance at yep. least, but um, the big wild card on this one was the lending, and so that's um, that's the wild card for everybody in this environment. But when you get to buying a commercial asset that has tenants and and has a certain occupancy in it, it it opens up better lending terms once you get to a certain occupancy. But um, this particular asset was only at uh, 50%, only had to be at a 50% occupancy at time of closing. And so in order to get those favorable lending terms, we had to have a bridge loan. So bridge loans are uh, basically just a short-term loan to bridge the gap in occupancy to get us to that level needed to get the more favorable terms. And so that was a challenge. The craziest thing about this deal is, you know, that when you have commercial rental type assets, multifamily or bill for rent, you know, your two main lending vehicles, you have life insurance groups um, that have real estate arms that'll lend on it. And then you've got uh, Freddie Mac or, or Fannie Mae type agency debt. Both of those are great vehicles, but you've got to be at a certain occupancy. And so, um, actually, on this deal, uh, early on, I think we started this whole process. We just closed today's, what, the 15th? Yep. So we closed Friday the 12th. Um, but we started this process, I want to say, end of February. 
um, early March. And so what was so interesting about this deal that no one saw coming is the Silicon Valley Bank crashed mm-hmm. when we yep. got a contract. And that sent the treasury market into chaos, mm-hmm. for lack of better words. The 10-year treasury was, like, you look at the graphs during that time, and it was just all over the place. And so it sent a lot of, you know, shockwaves through the multifamily and bill-for-rent lending industry. Mm. So much so to the point that the, we had a group lined up, and they ended up putting a freeze on issuing new rates, rate locks and putting a freeze on doing new deals. So that sent me into chaos trying to get work with the seller to get an extension. Anyway, it was a mess. Mm. Um, so we ended up landing on just getting a bridge loan um, to bridge the gap uh, in occupancy, and we ended up using Genesis Capital on that, and they were absolutely incredible to work with if you're listening. Uh, if you're doing new construction lending or just need a bridge loan for buying an existing asset, I can't recommend them enough. Uh, that's Genesis Capital. We can link that in the show notes. But, um, yeah, so we got the, got the bridge loan in place to get us to closing. But, you know, the problem with the, the bridge loan, um, it's a high interest rate type deal. It's a short-term loan. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of risk there with getting your occupancy up. So that right. makes that pro forma, it adds a whole nother layer of complication, <laughs> right? Financial modeling. So, so, so now that performance aspect of getting it leased up sooner than later, it's, I mean, there's a lot more pressure to get, make sure that happens. Yeah. hundred percent. So then that ties into your, your leasing velocity. Yep. You know, we have all this historical data from the seller about how many leases they were getting a month. And so we have to make a safe assumption internally, like, how many leases do we really think we can get? Yep. And then at what point do we break even on covering debt service and we can switch from the bridge debt to the permanent debt? And so um, it's just a chess match the whole way. And, you know, it was super exciting to close that deal this past Friday, but now the real work begins. Right. <laughs> well, that was, gonna, that was going right there. So now that all that's behind you and here we are, and performance time is here. Game time is here. We're 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 in it. What what now has sort of uh, shifted in your mind with uh, the priority of uh, performance and um, and also kind of what was maybe unexpected or just you know something that you weren't quite looking for um, maybe a few weeks ago. Yeah, I think the. Um the, the biggest challenge I mentioned before was the insurance thing. We had some issues right up until the last week uh, of closing, trying to get the insurance locked down. And so we got through that. And then, um, you know, moving forward now that we've closed, it, it, what's crazy is so when you're raising capital, there's it's not just, oh, let's raise enough capital to close the deal. No, it's not how it works. There's all, <laughs> there's all these other expenses associated, especially that, that first year of your hold period of your investment period is paramount. You know, you've got, we'll have property taxes come due in November. You know, that's, if I remember correctly, 350 grand every Mm -hmm. single year in property taxes. So from a cash flow perspective, you've got to be on your money management so hard from day one Mm -hmm. um, and set aside funds every month and just have enough reserves set aside. Um, The last thing you want to do is not raise enough capital and then, you're caught because mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> on paper, when you do these deals, you're essentially starting a new business from scratch. Right. So you got to have your operational expenses to get going. Um, and so the, that's, that's going to be the biggest challenge of the next 30, 30 to 60 days. And that's what I was telling, uh, Nick or acquisitions guys, you know, you can make that spreadsheet and that's all cool. You know, yep. 
how the cash actually flows, that's another story. Yep. Um, you can spend hours and hours and hours modeling and modeling and modeling. But um, when you're buying a new asset, and, you know, this is new to us. This is not a – it's no secret. This is our first big acquisition, you know, and something that we haven't built. And so we're kind of going off historical data provided by the seller. How all that actually flows, you know, we're about to find out. Right. Right. So Well, um, and, you know, so I – I try to keep up with, you know, property management news daily. So, I mean, you know, Google alert, property management. I get all the feeds, you know, anything that happens every day. And I can, you know, it's just anybody who's in the investment world of rentals, property management, property management is key. Like, I mean, the performance of the property manager is what can kill the deal. And so the amount of details that go into that is is just it's, it's, it's a lot, just to put yeah. it short. It's a lot of details. And so it's our job as pro- the property management company is to make sure that we can meet those expectations as and overperform on those expectations. So from that perspective now, um, you know, going into the deal, um, how would you say that – how closely did you look at the property management side of it and has has your mindset sort of shifted in a different direction as far as um, maybe the data you had then versus what you um, are anticipating happening in the future yeah the what was challenging about this one um, this was a you know it's a new construction development that just got built they got their last CO I think in December so it's brand new and you know you have so the expense side, this is not buying an asset that's, you know, three to five years old that's got all this great historical data. So the your expense assumptions are, you know, your you have to see the expenses from the T twelve, which is the tra- trailing twelve months profit and loss statement, and kind of fluff it and make sure you're covered because the expenses that have taken place, you know, the builder's still out there finishing and so mm-hmm. are all expenses truly being captured, you know, you don't know, are all warrant you know what's a warranty call versus an actual maintenance call right and how do you budget accordingly that's going to be i think our biggest challenge over the next few months is just figuring that out and see what is our true operational expenses you know on this deal um once we take over yeah um you know and and two it's like you know it's no secret you know, this the the seller is just getting this thing occupied to sell it. You know, their their business model is just to flip it, and so, you know, having their property manager in place, you know, they have different goals and aren't as aligned as say our in house property management team is going to be. Yeah, and so tiptoeing around that with the, with the sellers group and and us and making sure that you know we're leaving no stone unturned and right, you know, there will. Stuff will come up. Yeah, you know it's Murphy's law. It's just the well, way, and it's the way it, it works. <laughs> I know that from from my perspective, of course, my, you know, one of our jobs is to place uh, qualified tenants as quickly as you can, and so, but there is definitely an incentive for a builder whose intent is to flip, is that the management company doesn't necessarily focus a whole lot on qualifications. They're just focusing on the speed of getting tenants in there. And so that then creates somewhat of a problem potentially in the future is when those tenants weren't as qualified as they should have been. So now there's extra expenses or there's lost rent or there's, 
you know, early terminations or maybe there's evictions or maybe they didn't keep up with the property the way they should. You know, so you have all these variables that play into the cost of, of managing that property. Um, so speak, speak to that just a little bit um, from your perspective. Yeah, the, um, you know, a big thing is like when you, when you first take over a property like this, in your transitioning property management companies, you know, you're the the day you close and take ownership, any outstanding problem that was on that site is now our problem. A lot of these sales are an as is sell. There is no, oh hey seller, you forgot to do. That's yep. not how it works. Um, and in their defense, that's that's exactly how I structure it too, because you can't control, you know, we don't have cameras inside all these houses. Yeah, what the tenants are doing to every move, it's just impossible. So um you know, we're seeing that already a few days in of owning this thing of just, um, you know, trying to tie up any loose ends, mm-hmm. ensuring the tenants that, you know, hey, we're here, we're here to stay, um, we own this. Not, you know, not only do we own it, we're also the property manager, so we're going to take good care of you. Um, just managing those expectations is huge, you know, because you want to have happy tenants out there. It is. And the communication um, of it is, is so important. Yeah. Yeah, but no, so it's, um, you know, the... You know, I think the the biggest thing that is going to be a challenge, you know, we, we on this particular acquisition, it's we weren't as efficient, you know, as our first big one, um, you know, but going forward, I still think, you know, the, the biggest challenge is going to be the lending and seller expectations, all sellers. Um, when you look at the transaction volume of multifamily trades and bill for rent trades across the country right now, it is at historical lows. People are not mm-hmm. selling right now. It's not... It's not exactly a, a good time to sell. Um, yep. So the key is finding new construction builders who are wanting to offload communities um, as build for rent. But even those guys, I mean, we're builders. I can tell you what they're experiencing. You know, they're still, building materials are still ri- ridiculous. Land cost and site work is through the roof. So they're having challenges. So getting deals done in this environment is going to be tricky. Mm. Um, you know, getting this deal done was tricky in itself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was... It's thought I was never going to see that closing date. Do you think? Um, do you think though that the environment is still conducive enough to to make them, the deals happen? Is that? Yeah, I mean, to get deals doesn't in this environment. You're just going to have to have a lot of grit and determination to, yep. to power through and get creative in your deal structure. Um, and I think the vertical integration is going to be huge. Right. Um, you know, this deal wouldn't have worked for us if we didn't have that property management arm that we could fully control and put the trust and the lease up and right. keep expenses low. And so the groups that have that, I think, are going to persevere through these these weird times. And then your lender relationships are going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no telling what the next six months hold. So the lenders, when they when they look at this deal, um, they're looking at every aspect of who's involved, right? They're looking at the the investors, they're looking at the asset manager, the property manager, the sponsor. I mean, they're looking at everything, right? So, so when you're presenting to the lender um, the proposal, um, how how deep do they dive? How, how what was your experience with the lender when they started getting into the details of all that? Yeah, the, the lender checks everything. I mean, they they get just as much into the weeds of their underwriting as we do. From lease-up velocity to experience of the sponsor, experience of the property management company, how many doors do you have in your portfolio, um, anything you can imagine, they stick their nose in it because yep. um, they're evaluating it from a risk factor too, just like yep. we are. And so that was, um, you know, for us, it's interesting 
the lenders, when they look at us, look at a door, they're like, man, you guys have built a ton of homes and developed a lot of land and have a good real estate overall. Um, and so that helped us, but we didn't have a ton of doors under our belt. I think we have 50 in our portfolio between mm-hmm. owners and investors and whatnot. Um, and, you know, we're kind of a smaller fish in, the, in a big pond, but because of our experience, we're not new to real estate. Like, this right. is no... and. And with our property management team, with you leading the charge and your experience, and uh, we're no rookies. Yeah. And so having all that hi- history helped give them the confidence that we're the right, you know, sponsor and operator for this group. And, um, you know, so that that helped them with their decision on lending to us. Yeah. Because it's a decision, too. They don't just, I mean, you could have $100 million in the bank. It doesn't mean they're going to lend to you. No. Um, especially in this environment. Because... Um, there are so many moving parts of these type deals, one wrong assumption. And th- they know. I mean, they. when you send out your performa, people will tell in 2.5 seconds mm. whether or not you know what you're doing. And so <laughs> you can't, this is not something you can fake. Right. Um, this is not a, a fake it until you make it thing. Um, it's easy to sniff out who knows what they're doing and who doesn't real quick. So um, so what, what, what would you say is the sort of the biggest thing that, uh, the lesson you learned or the, the biggest experience that you think that uh, you've taken that now you can take it to the next experience uh, in the future? Yeah, it's well, it's tough because it's all it's tough to say because what happened on Dixon Preserve, Dixon Preserve is the deal we did. It's it may not the econ- the economic factors had a lot to do with what happened on that one and the little hurdles we hit. And how the deal was structured, um, I can't disclose all of it, but how it was structured had a lot of, a lot to do with the hurdles associated with it. And so moving on to the next one, I can assure you, you know, we'll have to be a lot more aggressive on occupancy, you know, on at what points we'll be willing to take it if we're going after new construction. And we'll, I'm going to circle back to that in a minute on our investment strategy on this one. But um, yeah, that's, that's, but the biggest takeaway is now is like your lender relationships. Um, we have we've done a lot of loans throughout our history, a lot of construction loans, obviously, um, development loans. But this was kind of our first big buying a cash flowing uh, asset. So I had to kind of work through some, you know, weeding out and a little bit of shopping on who we want to do business with. And now that that's ironed out, we'll be a whole lot more efficient. But I can't stress enough your your lending partners is everything. Yeah. Um, and like I said, Genesis Capital was incredible. We wouldn't have been able to do it without them. That's great. Yeah, um, those relationships are so important. Yeah. You know, I think more the older I get with everything in life, it d- doesn't matter what it is. It's like relationships. You have you have to um, be a person of good character and, and, and search for those people who can help you. You can help them. But, you know, you're true to, to what you say and you do a good job and um, you help each other. Yeah. So it's so important. So would you um, can you leave can you leave the list? I'm not sure if you wanted to. Yeah, I did want to, cir- to anything else here. Yeah, I wanted to um, circle back on because a lot of people have asked me this. And I think it's relevant information on why we we went after this particular deal on something that we don't historically build um, or something we don't historically do, being that we are builders, right? Um, and that's a great question and. You know, the, the best way I describe it is over the last 12 months as the market has shifted and um, 
you know, for those that don't know, Adore has always kind of been investor funded. On, on the outside, people have always viewed us as, oh, they're a builder and real estate company. And, but really internally, we've always kind of been more of a, an investment firm, uh, evaluating different opportunities to deploy investor capital and mitigate risk in the process and make sure we always have risk-adjusted returns, meaning, you know, high risk, high return, low risk, low returns. So we've always kind of looked at everything from an investment standpoint. And over the last 12 months, as a small spec builder, it has been extremely difficult for deals to pencil out. And, you know, we've been filling the squeeze on our spec home sales. Um, when you build 100 homes a year and you don't sell 20 when you thought you would, that puts a big squeeze on your cash flow. So with this particular deal and given all the uh, craziness in the market, we wanted to kind of go after something a little bit safer. And this kind of opportunity came about and where we skipped the part where we build and we went after something somebody else built. And, you know, our basis in the deal, we were able to get into it at almost what it would have cost us just to buy, develop and build and the time factor and so with this deal, we're able to offer our investors first-year cash flow with a low-risk investment vehicle um, and, you know, great year-one tax benefits through the bonus depreciation this year that um, in that first year of the investment period. So I just thought that was important to note. Like, you know, you'll see a lot of capital raisers and sponsors and syndicators out there throwing around these crazy returns, you know, 20% IRR, blah, 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 blah. And they're saying that now, and people have said that to me. And but I'm saying, how many deals have you exited in 2023? Meaning you got through your investment period, mm. which is usually when you make your big lick on your IRR. There's not been a lot. Yeah, transaction volumes the lowest it's been in history. So mm. all these people who are touting these things. I'm like, how, you know, it's being so intimately involved in the numbers. I'm like, hold on now. Yeah, like that's you know we're we're in an environment where you know we're going after. You know our returns aren't thirty percent, but it's also extremely low risk and offers first year cash flow. So this year and probably the next twenty four months, we're going to be kind of going after the safer safer plays, buying existing Class A. Class A is important to us, the right. construction. So right. you got a better product for your tenants and um, more predictable on the expense side. Well, it's interesting to me to see that essentially, you know, Adore's kind of shifted its its. Um, its focus or sort of its model and being able to say, you know, we built a lot of homes, but you know what? It's better off that we don't. And let's go ahead and go right for the asset and buy and buying them. And then, you know, taking it from there. I mean, that's an, an interesting, um, I guess, lesson learned, right? You just, you got to make the right decisions when the time is right for them. Yeah. You got to be able to shift. You yeah. always got to keep your head on a swivel and be able to adapt in real estate because we're a small firm. And so, if you have an ego or say, no, nah, we're going to plow ahead and keep building or, you know, and not adapt to the environment that you're building in, you'll get caught quick. And, you know, it's our job to mitigate risk for our investors. And so that's exactly what we did. Have you noticed anybody in town looking at what Adore is doing and sort of making a, a shift in their own predictions or their own courses of action? Because I've actually heard people say, hey, I see. I see Adore doing this. I think I need to shift what I'm doing, because they. I mean, because they know that Adore has got some smart people looking at some things, and there's a lot of money being invested. So, have you heard that from your side of it? No, I, I get a lot of other smaller builders in town asking me what we're doing and um, and whatnot, and you know, everybody's a little unsure. It's you know which which way to go, and you know, everybody's seeing the same things. It's um, 
deals just aren't penciling out very very well in our market at certain price points. And so um, I haven't seen anybody specifically, but everybody everybody's going to be feeling it. I'm just confident in the next six months, everybody's going to be feeling it. And so, um, you know, like I said, we started to prepare for this shift two years ago. We yeah. saw it two years ago. Yeah. Um, everybody did. I mean, nobody thought. Anybody who watches what's going on in the market never would have thought what was going on in the real estate world would have continued. Like, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it was so weird. It was like, it okay, was. like home <laughs> values can't appreciate 40% for right. six months. Like, this is not going to last. Yeah. Um, so we knew, but yeah. so we, we don't have some secret sauce or anything. It's just, we just took action versus, yeah. you know, waiting around, you know. What's um, interesting to me is to see, because I keep up with the um, Florida realtors um, news um, articles and such. And so when you, when, you, when you look at those articles, there's just what appears to be, I mean, it's not just uncertainty. It's almost like, the flux of human response to the conditions are just so up and down. One day they report there's more confidence in the market. The very next day, less confidence. I mean, it's just so up and down right now. And I think partly it's just because people see, well, here's some good signs over here, but then here's some bad signs over here, and they're not sure which one to really, you know, choose. Which one's right? I don't know. I don't know. So no, it's no one really knows. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's tough right now. I mean, I study it religiously and you know, I've got opinions, but all they are is opinions. Yeah. <laughs> Just like everybody else. Everybody else thinks they got it figured out. Um, I don't try to pretend that I have it figured out. Just try to make good decisions in the moment and, and project out as far as you can. Um Well, I like it personally because it's the rental business and that's what I I like to do. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean it, at a door, you know, we've been the main one of the main owners, Justin and I, you know, I started six years ago. I took over all operations, and we were talking about moving towards the rentals. Then we just already had such a healthy land pipeline of specs, and so we were riding the good wave of building specs. But we've always been working towards uh, the rental business being a, a huge focus because um, you know people always need a place to live, right. no matter what's going on in the economy. That's people right. always need a place to live, yep. and it's a lot easier to to get a roof over your head in a rental than it is getting a uh, alone. Yeah. Um, it so. can happen overnight. That's right. Yep. Just find it. Sign a lease. You're there. As long as you meet three times the monthly income requirements <laughs> and have a credit score of. Sorry. That's right. <laughs> Little disclaimer there for ACM. That's right. Assuming there's quali- qualifications there. Yeah. But no. no, it's exciting. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, you you did an excellent job. I mean, for you know the whole team watched you work and you did a, an amazing job. So. Um, we're glad to be on this side of it. I know you you learned a whole lot. Is there sort of a last little bit of a, a golden nugget you can leave the listeners and sort of um, help inspire them for their next deal? Yeah, no, I, the biggest thing, and you'll hear this from a lot of you know real estate podcasts and whatnot, but in this environment, it is difficult to get deals done. Um, don't force it, um, but underwrite as many deals as you can, meaning... You know, it's just like fishing. Like you got to throw the bait out there a hundred times sometimes before you get one bite. So, uh, stick to your buy box. Set your criteria. Um, have crystal clear criteria and what you want, and stick to it. And underwrite deals. Um, flex that muscle of just underwriting deals and, and that muscle memory because you'll you'll probably have to touch 20, 30, 40 before one bites that checks your boxes. Hmm. And getting a seller to agree. That's good. Um, 
So, yeah. That's good. Stay after it. Yep, diligence. Yep. Very good. Well, it's good information, Austin. Thanks for that. Thanks to the listeners for listening to episode four, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Y'all have a good one.